This is the Sounding Board Podcast with Hachi and Damo. Thanks to Drinkwise. If you're choosing to have a drink, choose to Drinkwise. Good to have your company on the sounding board for Drinkwise. If you're choosing to have a drink, choose to Drinkwise. Episode 37, Series 7 of the sounding board for Drinkwise. Craig Hutchison, Damien Barrett with you. I'm in the South Bank Studios. Hutchie, you today on this particular Monday afternoon are where? I am in the Brisbane office today, Damo. So I'm here. I'm not with you in person. I only saw you. I felt like we had the sounding board only two days ago. So not a lot's happened between when we last recorded and now. <laughs> it is a but bit tight together, isn't it? In between times, I've been to Perth Friday night and where else have I been? I've been all over the place. So it's nice to see you, Damo. There's lots to get through today. Before we go any further, I did, I did call into Caulfield on Saturday to the races. Came back on the red eye from Perth. Went to the races on Saturday, and Mini Damo was the talk of the area I was on in the track. So for those, <laughs> oh, who of course he was. <laughs> those who didn't download Series Seven, Episode Thirty Six, <laughs> go late in this in the episode last week, and you'll see the revelations that uh, that uh, Peter Dutton's press sec is Damien's brother Adrian, and lo and behold, Adrian is a Mini Damo. They look alike, they sound alike, they're equally conservative, they're equally cynical. You would think it's Damo as his press sex. So, Mini Damo... There, there, uh, there are about 15 factual mistakes in what you've just said there, Haji, but, but keep going. Mini Damo is Peter Dutton's press sex. So, I, I, was, <laughs> I was curious about Mini Damo on Saturday. A few people said that they'd met Mini Damo or they knew Mini Damo. Oh, of course so I was they just did, Haji. They come to you and said, I've met Damien's brother. Is that what they said to yeah? So, I was doing a little, <laughs> bit, of, a little bit of fact-checking. <laughs> oh, actually, we'll get to have some fact-checking yeah. in a moment, yeah. This was the one that hit my desk that, that held my uh, humour, Damo. <laughs> <laughs> when when you got how old were you when you got married? Uh, I would have been twenty six. Twenty six, yeah, yeah. Almost childhood sweethearts. And yeah. when you got married at a young age, you got married in a pretty awesome church in the city that was difficult to access. Is that true? Well, it was the church that I that actually was attached to the school I attended, Hutchie. So yep. I, I had a connection personally to the church, yeah. Yep. My understanding is that you were initially knocked back from the wedding at your church, but Minnie Damo was in the church choir and came good with the relationship and the leverage and leveraged his spot in the church choir to unlock the marital ceremony for you as a young boy. Is that true? <laughs> I, I, I actually can't recall anything along those lines. I'm happy to go along with the story if you want. Was he, was he or was he not young da- little mini Damo in the church choir? Well, he's he's nine years younger than me, so he would have been seventeen. Seventeen. He, he wouldn't yeah. have been he wouldn't have been in the choir then, but he, but he was in the the choir of the church in question at one stage. My understanding, of his, life. his choir connections, yeah. helped. Broker a backroom deal for you to access the Church of Choice on wedding day, and he was cutting deals on your behalf at the young at the mini demo age. Well, of 17. I'm not going to dispute all of that, Hutchie, because uh, yeah, I don't, I don't recall booking it myself, but I do recall him putting the hymn book together, and also the uh, there was a quartet, there was a string quartet from memory. This is the man guiding Peter Dutton's political career, who was leveraging his choir relationships <laughs> to get Damo married back in the day. So I think you'll you find he, uh, he he sang and also played that big organ in that church too, Hutchie, on the same day. So he was a bit of an all round. <laughs> yeah. If you've got any more, I'm becoming quite obsessed with Mini Damo. I'm going to reach out to him about next week. Show. He wasn't he, happy. I did else? touch base with him. He, he wasn't happy. He was disgusted because he, he's like he actually. What I think he has liked to have done over these over his uh, professional life is to sort of get through without having any focus on him. Fly under the radar. And, and you guy. you've now destroyed that as of last week and and yep. here again today off the top of this show. 
Hashtag me on Twitter, Mini Damo. If you come across any <laughs> Mini Damo-isms, even a lot of Canberra Press Gallery here listen, if you come across anything, I am all ears, Damo. All ears. Second thing before we get on to the serious oh, stuff. Yeah, is a fair, on a roll. Fair, fair bit of serious stuff to do this week. Second thing. The late, great Spud Frawley. Yep. Who we loved and whose humour we miss on our airwaves. He was big on the... Ego stuff, Damo. He wouldn't. He, he held you to high account. He would been, have been appalled at your self um, work on the Max Becker podcast, and he would have wanted to know the eyes. So I, I said hey, last hey, week. Before you do what I think you're about to do here, this is the reason I delayed doing Max Becker for six to nine months. You, you are about to do an unfair edit. I'm yeah. assuming on my my interview, my sincere answers in interview with Max Becker. Is that yep. what you're about to do? Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly yeah. what I'm about to so do. So you're true to form. The, the, so the dollar I won pops got up here. I, I said you did a series on AFL.com this year called Centurions, which is about those that kicked 100. And I thought there was 100 eyes in your interview. <laughs> I thought you could interview yourself about your own 100 yeah. eyes. Jane has run the tape over the first 12 minutes, which is the only spare time she had. Yep. At the 12-minute mark of a 48-minute... 54-minute interview, you're at 52 eyes in the first 12 minutes. Here's some of our favourites. I would have been about your age, I reckon, when I yep. first realised I really love writing. I, I went straight in. I I, um, I got into what was then the RMIT journalism course. Yeah, in Melbourne. Yeah, yeah I, I said no. Well, I got into it, but I, I didn't take up the offer on it. I, I wasn't young. I <laughs> that, did love do, the Jane. paper as much as I Jane, criticised do. it from the outside. Sound down. Let them run. Keep the, keep nah, the eyes running. So there's that'll a million. Of, you, so I reckon so I, 150 is the estimate, we think. Which would be Peter Hudson's record. Yeah, and I'd probably still be short of yours when you did Max Becker, Hutchie, when you were the, one of the first people to do Max Becker. Although, what you could do, Hutchie, you could fact check it if you wanted to. If, if I just said 150, you might want to fact check it because there's a development on the thing that you, that. Uh, well, I, I get some humour out of Hutchie. I, I do get some humour out of this fact checking issue, which came to our attention this year on the uh, the standing board when when it was the ABC fact check, I think, body, which um, decided to fact check a 45-second conversation on the Sunday footy show. And I wasn't aware of any fact-check bodies until then, but we've since discovered there's an RMIT fact lab. And, Hachi, this is a story recently written um, pertaining to that. Fact lab, RMITC's, RMIT's research hub targeting misinformation and disinformation on social media fl- platforms will soon expand its operations to include online verification newsroom Crosscheck. So we've got, no, we've got another industry now. We've got another um, organisation called Crosscheck. Uh, what's going on in this world, Hutchie? Everything's being cross-checked and fact-checked. Tell me, tell me how this launch went, Damo. Well, Step I, me through it. I don't know, and I'm just going to call up the article that someone did send me as we speak, Hutchie, just so I can uh, highlight a few of the other issues. So, director of no, it, it's going to be absorbed into Crosscheck will be absorbed into RMIT Fact Check. RMIT Fact Lab. There's a director of RMIT Fact Lab, and then no crosscheck are uh, uh, merging with RMIT Fact Lab. Is that what's happening? Yes. And then here's a quote here from someone: Doctor Anne Kruger and her crosscheck team will broaden the scope <laughs> of Fact Lab with their expertise and respected industry connections. Yep. Wait for this, Hachi. Established in 2017, Crosscheck was a central program of the misinformation not profit. First draft. So, so first now, draft. So earlier this year, first draft's mission 
moved to the Information Futures Lab at Brown <laughs> University. <laughs> With, yeah, there's a little mini industry in this. And there was a, there was a, uh, a launch last week that was actually rolled this out on stage of all the uh, merging of the fact groups. But uh, the cross-check team, um, Russell Skelton, um, Skelton Information, said having the cross-check team <laughs> at RMIT would bridge the gap between research and practice and reinforce the university's commitment to developing critical public awareness about the origins and spread of misinformation online, including an online verification newsroom cross-check demo. <laughs> I, see, I, I, I do get humoured. The newly formed RMIT Fact Lab cross-check ensures that first draft's work will live on in the Asia-Pacific region. Information Futures Lab co-director and first draft founder, Dr. Claire Wardle, said RMIT Fact Lab is the perfect place for cross-check to be located. I'm lost, Hachi. We've got Information Futures. We've got first draft. We've got cross-check. We've got oh RMIT goodness. Fact Lab. You know what? It's also it's basically a pitch for business too, I think. <laughs> That's the other thing. They're, they're, I, I, they're referring to collaborations, but basically it's just a... I think it's a plea to come and use them and pay to use their, their work. Imagine the, imagine the merger paperwork. Imagine <laughs> the, like, if I found one here, clause 15C, paragraph E, that's not entirely true. That's not a good sign for this relationship being a good one if you're going to put those ambiguous clauses into deals. <laughs> we're, we're endlessly uh, interested in the RMIT fact check. I know it's not everyone's cup of tea. No, I don't think it is, actually. I probably how does that, didn't deliver how that to that a lot get, of it. Anyway. How does that get funded? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a, it's a. Anyway, as I said, Hutchie, I was first made aware of it when I saw a. I think it was a Herald Sun picked up on the fact that the RMIT fact check, or actually, no, I think it was ABC fact check, had refuted something that one of us said on the Sunday Footy Show about something. Yep. So yep. They're, they're putting there. Their, that's, uh, where, yep. that's where. Hey, where um, now tell me because we've been big on Peter Volandis, or I have anyway, Hutchie, and I think you you do like his work as well. Oh. Is it fair to say now this race that he has produced out of absolutely nowhere and had its sixth running on the weekend is second now only to the Melbourne Cup when it comes to a horse race in this country? Because I, I honestly think it is. I always thought the Cox Plate would. Well, I always thought the Cox Plate was number one. I think it's lost some luster in recent years too, and the Melbourne Cup I mean, always is there for obvious reasons. But I could have had it third at one stage, um, the Everest. But I think it's pitchforked itself above everything bar the Melbourne Cup now. It was a stunning success, 46,000 people, beautiful day, high engagement from the community, uh, new race goers going, um, amazing markets we talked about last week. So it is, it has been one of the best, what's well, the best marketed horse race ever. Melbourne Cup has had a, a continual build over 150 years of prestige, but it's the best marketed horse race Australia's ever produced or seen. And it was a magnificent day, and I'd argue, you disagree with this, but I argue it's a brilliant day for Caulfield too. Caulfield had a fantastic day on Saturday. It didn't have the same volume of people. Obviously, they've got some uh, grandstand works going at Caulfield, and that was a little bit lost in the narrative. But Didn't have the same dri- calibre of race either, either Hutchie. That, 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 uh, there's no comparison on the, on the actual races either. Yeah, but it doesn't need to. Look, those two events go together magnificently. And at Caulfield on Saturday, the... Uh, gathering around the televisions and the fascination on course about the Everest was almost as big as it would have been at the Everest itself. It's been a masterclass of marketing. I think you um, you, you give him too, too hard a time, Peter Volandis. I think it's he's a builder. And give him too hard a time? What are you talking about? What are you talking you, about? You, 
You I've can't. actually launched these. these no, you, oh. you're too cynical on New, on the New South Wales racing bid to um, market and grow. Hachi, I've highlighted how Hachi. Have you listened to anything I've said for five years about Peter Volandis? Seriously, you've just gone on one of your rants and you've got no idea what you're saying. I, I am you're... I am his number one fan. Yeah, I, I think you. And he has the destroyed. Time. He has nearly destroyed Melbourne Racing. Is, is my line? I've been trotting out for five years, and I think he's no, getting you... close to doing it. You have a you have a racing eats each other kind of mentality to this, where I I think it's actually growing the whole carnival. Like it's Saturday was a better day for having both days humming the way they were, and the Golden Eagles the same. It's a it's turnover now. I think on the day is even bigger than the Victorian Derby, and that's become a huge day as well. And then you've got the big dance going on Cup Day. So I'm I love it. I'm all for it, as you know, and um, we maybe see it a little differently, don't we? But they've they've created a race meeting out of nowhere, which has become bigger than the iconic Caulfield Cup. Yeah, and it's and it's a marketing success, isn't it? Like we talked about the yeah. way that, the way they they're, they're forever building it and reinvesting in it, and that's that's uh, that takes time and energy. So I'm a, I'm a fan. Where, where's the vision? And this this is my point with about Peter Vlandis. Where, where is the vision in Melbourne racing in Victorian racing? Um. Yeah, I would accept that historically to some degree, but I think the new CEO, Racing Victoria, is a, is a really smart operator. I think he'll be a tremendous input to the business. What's he going to do, like Archie? This. Seriously, what, what is he going to do? He, I saw he bought some land somewhere. No, that, well, they'll definitely try and innovate. And racing's in a position now where it can, right? It's got through the pandemic, kept on its feet. Its revenues have been pretty strong. Wagering's been, obviously, um, very strong. And it has the, the but means to... But what's, what's he going to innovate? I don't know what the specifics will be, Damo, but I would be very surprised if they didn't try and keep step with innovating. And it doesn't necessarily need to be on the top end. It can be different versions of racing, short forms, ver- versions of it, different days, different venues, different concepts. We're seeing um, slot racing now become a thing in all three codes. You look at WA has gone into a trilogy. Um, Victoria's got the Meadows and Greyhounds doing uh, the Phoenix. Um, New South Wales has got a slot race. So I, I think it's... Uh, you know, the industries themselves all innovated. And they've tried, they've tried the, the slot race, Hutchie. It's called the uh, was it called the Golden Mile or the what's the mile? No, that's not a not a slot race, demo, Really? Well, what is it? It, it kind of is. But what, well, it is. It it is. It is. It's a it's a it's a half. It's a poor attempt, and and it was on, on in response to Amanda Elliott, who was in charge yep. of some racing <laughs> bodies at the time, saying that Peter Vlennies was a silly little man. Remember? I know you're a hard marker on the Golden Mile, but uh, it's. Is it, that what it's called? I think that, that, that doesn't stop anyone, does it? That one, that yeah, race, the mile in between. But they'll, they'll, it will. I think we'll see more innovation across Victorian racing. I, I, I doubt we will, Hutchie. I actually don't think they're capable oh, of I'm not responding. surprised. Uh, what did you think of the better launch, by the way? Well, we discussed this last week, didn't we? Yep. I should give you the chance to talk about this because what did you think? Well, we discussed it last week. It's obviously News Limited and all its papers are effectively now a, um, a bookmaker. Yeah, but what did you think of the promotion that they ran, which... Um, According to the Age newspaper, Liquor and Gaming New South Wales have issued a show cause notice. So it was Wednesday of last week leading into the Caulfield Cup that they officially launched. And this is an article written by Amelia Maguire. News Corp-backed online wagering group Better has been hit with a regulatory investigation just two days after its highly anticipated launch with a key state government authority warning a promotion the outfit ran this week may have breached advertising laws. It's a good start. The promotion was 100 to 1 on any horse in the Melbourne Cup maximum bet $10. So, like, it basically a stake up to 1000 bucks on any runner for – it was an acquisition market, right? And it's been interpreted that way by the the show cause notice. The, it, it it worked. It cut through, didn't it? Like, you couldn't doubt that people were talking about it. And 
No, 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 no. I, I didn't speak to anyone about it, apart from the people I, I asked questions about, given that the newspapers now are a bookmaker. I, I didn't speak to anyone about it. Who, who did you speak then, to about it? And then the, in, in true form, it was, it was probably over-covered in the non-news papers and <laughs> not covered at all in the newspapers, as in News Corp. Did you are, you are you saying that people were talking about it at the races on Saturday? Uh, in my circles, which are different to your circles, the, it was the talk of the wagering world for the last three days last week. It was everywhere because yeah, you know, like you look people in our office and wherever you might have been, like it's it was a too good to be true style offer that didn't get everyone's attention. No question about that. It was it, I cut across it everywhere I went. Now, um, that's not to say that. Uh, I don't, I don't, I'm not familiar with the tone of the regulatory piece, um, other than I'm sure they wouldn't have done it if they didn't feel it was within the regulatory framework. So play on. But uh, yeah, to your point, it didn't get covered in the uh, in News Corp papers and, and it did everywhere else. And that's going to be. They, they would have liked that as a story if it was a competitor, I would have thought. That would have been a good one to run. If it was a competitor, it would have been page one, three, five, seven, nine, and pointer. Hey, um, Hachi, today I read uh, somewhere, I think it might have been off your own platforms actually, that, that Anthony Hudson's left you, taken off from yes. SEN. Yep, that's true. What's happened there? He was there from day one, even before yeah. you had your fingerprints all over it. Yeah, so it's a it's a sad day really for us. So I thought the right thing to do was to pay respect because – Hand on heart, it's a tough one to swallow. You know, he's leaving. Um, he's taking another opportunity in radio. It's we, we made him as um, strong an offer as we possibly could, and you know, one reflective of his unbelievable contribution over a long period of time, long before me and us. And he's been a really special part of the place long before we came along. So he goes back to the early days and his contribution behind the scenes and his commitment and energy. And so, you know, I, I feel really, um, and I've shared this with, with Hutto, but our team feel quite indebted to him over the journey pre-merger. And undoubtedly, he is one of the best uh, callers in the country, if not at the very top of that, that list. So a pretty tough one. He, he's, um, his availability has always been a challenge because Fox, understandably, as his chief employer, have a very tight hold on what he can or can't do. So for us, for instance, he was only available on a Friday night. Would you, we would have loved to have more of him, obviously, and um, he's chosen to, to leave. So, yeah, disappointing, Damo, and I I didn't want to let the moment pass without reflecting on his yeah. on his contribution because we've been a little bit blessed for five years to have he and Jared side by side and then Dwayne Russell. We've, we've had the best callers in the country, we feel, and uh, we still have we still bat very deep, I by the way. I think you find it, that Chip Lamb has the best calls in the country, Hutchie. But um, how are you going to go with him next year, being on Three W? Hutto. Uh, if that's where he, if that's where he ends up, then that's that's the, that's the decision he's made. So yeah, it's um. Do you, do you, yeah, do you be, know that he has? Uh, I would. Yeah, that would be my prediction. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I I don't know, but that's what I keep getting told in the, yeah, in I think the that, hours I think since the story. Yeah, yeah, I, I think that'd be where. where but where how are you going to go with that? That he's going to go and work in the AM band opposition to. Uh, well, I feel like I did and we did all we could within our means to ask him to stay. So I, I can sleep okay at night knowing that, um, but I'm disappointed because I feel we were the best place for him to apply his craft. His cricket commentary is sensational. In the summertime, he calls test cricket for us and does it beautifully. we got a lot more cricket coming up. Uh, we'd have had a lot more interest in working with him more broadly if he'd be available 
in footy, obviously, and so availability sort of comes back to being one of the key challenges. But I'd be lying if I said it wasn't a disappointing day, Damien. Was we, yeah. We're lucky that we got you know ten or twelve outstanding callers, but you, you can't. I can't uh, spin the fact that he's one of the best, Damien. And I, I um, thank him sincerely for his efforts over the years. Yep, Hutchie, you, you're right. Before when you said that we uh, spoke on this show, only it felt like yesterday, and it, I think it was a uh, was it Thursday last week? Yep. Yeah, it was. Today's not which means that we didn't uh, discuss the Brett Rattensacky of St Kilda Footy Club. That story was broken Thursday night around about ten o'clock uh, by Cal Toomey of AFL.com.au, and it was one of the it was one of the great old fashioned footy gets, wasn't it? That story, amazing yarn. Where would you have got that story from? Do you feel? I, I don't. I mean, I, 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 to answer your question, I don't know. Um, How many people would know? How many people would have known he was going to get sacked on Thursday night? Uh, Pretty tight loop, wouldn't it? Yeah, I reckon it would have been very, very few numbers because from what I, again, I, I'm not one to work. I mean, I work with Kel and, and, it's not, yep. and, and in fact, he has broken two of the two of the really big stories of 2022. Um, the one that he confirmed and, and, and went with hard on the day before the trade period started that Jason Horn Francis would be seeking passage to Port Adelaide. I yep. mean, that was, that was the story of trade period. He, he's always been a um, fantastic journalist, Cal, and a terrific analyst of recruiting in those years. But has he become an even better newsbreaker than you thought he could be? Oh, I think he always was, to your point. But it was, um, again, he's made, in my eyes, he has made the draft space his own. And, and what I do, and, and having now worked with him closely without giving up any of his trade secrets, he, he has a relationship with every single draftee. That, that is deep. And as you know, and as you, we attest, those relationships you form with the athlete at that stage of their careers, he's got a, oh, I think he's got a trust with nearly all of them before they even play a game of footy. So obviously with those players now, you know, some of them yeah. 10, 15 years in the system and even longer in, in Cal's case. Yeah. I think he's got, um, he's got the playing market, you know, to, to himself. And so you, you're asking the question, where have you got it from? You, it sounds like you've got a theory. No, because I, 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 I don't. I mean, he just obviously he got the good tip off that, that yeah, something felt, had happened. Yeah. It, well, normally in these situations, it's from one camp or the other. Like, so it's normally, well, there's only three ways it emerges. You either hear it from someone in within the camp who's happy to let you know that they've made the hard call. I don't think someone, it would, I, I, my reading on this was St Kilda didn't want it out until until Friday agree. earlier. So, so, so someone, I, I reckon we remove St Kilda from this. Someone externally who heard it from them or yep. the or the camp of the subject themselves. It felt very much like the camp of the subject themselves to me. And okay. who cares where it came from or how, but yeah. that's what that's what I reckon happened. The decision itself, where do you sit on it? The decision itself, it, I mean, that, that's a good question. I, I don't have an issue with any club making a, a call of that nature. What, what I do have an issue with is, is St Kilda making, specifically St Kilda making this call 95 days after they decided to trumpet the fact that they were going to recommit to Brett Ratton for the 2023 and 2024 seasons. And that, that was something they put out on their own platforms. That was something they patted themselves on the back about stability and he's our right man. So I, I, I add all that together. I also Hutchie, have a theory that with Andrew Bassett going on to Lindsay Fox's yacht, as a lot of high-end uh, Australians did, and that was the 85th birthday celebration between New York and, and Montreal. Obviously, Lindsay Fox being a, a massive St Kilda um, power broker, let's say. Also, uh, on that yacht being Jerry Ryan, I, as far as I know as well, Hutchie. I, I, yep. I believe they're, look, coming off the boat, I reckon there may have been some conversations around where is this club at and have you got the right man? Now, that's just, uh, I'm putting two and two together there and I might be getting 17, but 
it was no coincidence in my eyes, Hutchie, that this hard call that St Kilda Footy Club hasn't been prepared nor able to make for a very long time happened in the days after Andrew Bassett had returned. Now, it may well have been in motion. It may well have been in train. It may have been a 2% swing for Andrew Bassett in his mind to go through with that, you know, that plan they may have had. But I reckon it, I reckon that yacht trip, that, that yacht, has come into it somewhere, Hutchie, and it might even be 0.01% somewhere. But I reckon it's come in somewhere. Yep. It feels like the president said, I've heard enough, I've been managed up enough, get out of my way, we're going to do something here. And I didn't want to ask you about that. Like, And obviously it's, it's a very cold and ruthless business and you have to feel for Brett and what he and his family are going through a second time. And mm. he's had such a tough journey post playing anyway that, you know, just another thing that you feel for him about and I hope that he, I'm sure he'll emerge. Like the footy departments try and keep those above them out of their area, right? Footy departments generally live in a bubble. Yeah. The head of footy generally has a view of how things are going, but it's often slanted by relationships. I'm not saying it in this situation. I'm just drifting the conversation to these areas. And then the CEO is encouraged to stay out of footy, but otherwise, you know, you hear the middling CEO. And then the president is often just given a once a month update or a, like, I've never really understood that. I admire Andrew Bassett saying, hang on a minute, I want to understand for myself the landscape mm. and I'm going to make the call. We saw it with Sonia Hood at North Melbourne too with the president in, injecting themselves in the conversation. I have no problem with it, nor do I have a problem with the CEO um, getting involved in footy and pushing. Uh, it, it's an unpopular view in the industry that the, the view is, oh, CEOs and presidents don't know anything about footy and what, what value do they add and what do they know and we'll tell them what they need to know and give us the budget and get out of the way. It, I... When, you, when your name's on the door, yeah. when you're ultimately responsible for the club and the club's in the business of football, you're entitled to get involved, you, I think. Yeah, you know, I, I, I don't um, disagree with, with, with what you've said there as, as a premise. Um, do, do you have an issue? Because I, I do, Hachi, have an issue with the person who was in charge of footy, that being Simon Lethleen, for the entirety of, of, of Brett Ratton's time as coach. And, and was there when they removed the other coach or, or just agreed to part with Alan Richardson? I might use that phrase instead. Yep. Brett Ratton comes in and the head of footy is Simon Lethlean, who's there for that period. And then he's elevated to the chief executive post. One of the very first public utterances as chief executive is a con- the conducting of a review into the football department, which yep. he has just run for four years. And the outcome of that review is the coach goes, surely there's a – optics issue with, with that. And again, Hutchie, just for the record, I really like Simon Lethlin. I think he's got ability. He might be one of the really good CEOs, but there's an optics issue with, with that issue. Well, you go back a little bit on your Dan Hannabury conversation. You've been, uh, you've never really let well, that you, you, you want to, I wasn't going to raise that, but just seeing you want to raise that as a, as a little, um, you know, attempt at, at, at colouring what I've just said, because I just said, Hutchie, we're, we're fine, by the way. I, I mean, this is going to probably drive a wedge back into it again. But, I mean, if you want to raise Dan Hanbury, he, he got on Dan Hanbury across for $800,000 for four years, and he played 17 games. It's a 19, I think, yeah. No, 17, um, I think. I think you're fine. Oh, maybe 18. Maybe 18. And obviously they had a, a close relationship on a family front. So, the well, where to start? I would think it was his recommendation to extend the contract. You could understand at the time he had two choices, one to give him the comfort and certainty or two to let it swing to the end of the year and they were 8-3 at the time. So you can understand at least probably he, he disagrees with his own decision back then and I think that's a, a fair assessment. It was a wrong call. Then it sounds like he's been overruled from there on. The, the, the president said, well, we're having a review of football whether you like it or not and you can announce it, but we're having it. And then Matt Finnis really left without any fanfare, didn't he? Like That was a, that was the quietest exit of a long-time CEO we've seen. 
And then it looks like it's been a captain's pick on the decision. Like Bassett said, you know, this is what this is what I want to do. Tell me why I shouldn't. And made Brett Ratton pitch to save his role. So I have no problem with the president over... Sometimes you've got to make a hard call, Damo, in life. And oh, yeah. But this, getting back to, to my point here, Hutchie, what's, what's your take on that? Well, he's made a couple of mistakes. The Ratton's a mistake. Hanbury was a mistake. And there won't be room for a whole lot more mistakes. But, but I'm sure there equally will be a fresh start on that. Equally, though. If, on, and there was the a concession role. in the... In the press conference or media conference uh, on Friday that, that said we, we didn't give, as in the, a club, didn't give Brett the best chance to, to, to basically shine. And yet Brett's the one who cops it. And, and as we speak, no one else has. Now, Hushy, you've got to know me. I don't call for sackings, okay? I don't want sackings. I, I think it's hard for people to find a job no matter what happens. But how can the coach be the only person sacked in this scenario? Yeah, well, I think there'll be other changes. And, you, and Ross will bring his own people if he arrives, won't he? Ross Lyon. So you're stating that as fact, that Ross is coming in? Well, it's either he or Luke Beveridge. And he, Luke, the Luke Beveridge situation we talked about last week, they, they, they've got the opportunity to put four or five years to him, St Kilda. And if they do, there's not a chance in, there's not a chance he's saying, no, I'm staying to right at the last year. He'll go back to the Bulldogs and ask them where they sit on an extension if they haven't already got there anyway. So Beveridge is in a position to get redrawn. I, my, okay, I so, so negotiate he, this now for us, can you? Because this is, this is the sort of stuff that you do yep. in, in your business. So... If you're St Kilda, you've got you've well, got down to two. I, I, I agree with you. I think Ross Lyon will be the coach of St Kilda. Just, just that's just my opinion. I've got no one to tell me that officially because if I did, I would have written it and I'll said be, it. But that's my opinion. I'll be Luke Beveridge's manager. Yep. Let's just call him John Smith for the sake of the conversation. I don't know who his manager is, right? Yep. It, and who am I, Andrew Bassett? You can be the Saints or you can be the Bulldogs. I'll tell you how he plays both. So All right, I'll, I'll be Andrew Bassett. Um, John, it's uh, Andrew Bassett here. Always Andrew. Huge respect. Always love St Kilda. Love my time there. My dad, John, was a fantastic contributor, as you know. It's been part of my DNA, always be part of my soul. I lived down Bayside Way, as you know, and uh, almost took the job as director of coaching. You'll be well aware that, A, I'm in a contract, so it would be inappropriate to have a conversation. Oh, sorry, I'm John Smith. Uh, Luke's contracted for another year, um, so it would be inappropriate for him to have a conversation other than he has huge respect and echoing the words that he has huge respect for the club. He, He has another year to go. Um, it's uh, a contract that he intends to honour. He loves the Bulldogs. They've got a very young list, and we've we got nothing to see here. I'll now, cut you off there, you... John. John, you know why I'm wrong, and, and I, I know everything you've just told me, okay? So let's just cut to the absolute chase here. Yeah, I, I've now... got a decision to make. I, I, I can give the job to someone who's already had the job at St Kilda and is not contracted, and I reckon I can get in a heartbeat, and yeah. that would be a fine yeah. job and a fine sell for me. The person I want is your client. Now, have you felt Luke was your man? I couldn't stop you from clearly sending us the framework of what you would be prepared to do over time, years, and tenure, including a firm offer to do it. It's a long shot that he would be he would consider it, and it's a long shot the Bulldogs would release him. But I can't stop you and your actions from sending me that paperwork if you so chose to put forward how you saw it. One thing I'm not going to have happen here as chairman of St Kilda is for this to be played out publicly. You either accept within an hour of receipt of that offer that we will give you on your permission. Yep. Or there is to be no further well then, correspondence. Well, then that, that's impractical and we'd be ruling that situation out. Well, Sorry. that's okay. Then I'll, I'm going to hang up now and I'm going to be ringing Ross Lyon. Yeah, that's fine. Okay. And, and that's cool. Thanks, now, thanks for your time. Regardless, John Smith's conversation with the Bulldogs is this. Luke loves this club. Who could forget the 2006 Premiership, 2016 Premiership? We've done a great job of uh, making a grand final only 12 months ago. He's never been more invigorated and enthused. Yeah, this year we had some hits and misses, but we've been able to refresh the list via trade. He wants to coach this team. We heard Rory Lobb talk about him last week. Look, 
we, we want a little bit of runway here. We want to back you in. Now, of course, St Kilda are sitting there. And yeah, of course, they've been in touch. No, everyone would know they've been in touch. Do you say that they're... even if they haven't been in touch? And of course, that their position would Hutch, be Hutchie, of a longer... Do you, do you say that as Luke Beveridge's manager, well, even if St Kilda hasn't been in touch right now? Well, they, they will have been because you have to make that call. No, you don't. You may, not just, you, you may not want him. You, you may not want him. No, just you have to. He, well, how do you yeah, have even, to? Even if you don't, you've got to do Hutchie, the, ticket, the two people we're talking about come with a lot of strings attached. And I'm close, close-ish to one of they're them in a media weird, sense, and I'm not close at all to the other cats. one. They're they're both they cats. both come with lots of strings attached, Hutchie. <laughs> they they're not for everyone, these two people, which which makes them so appealing for, for some. But the, um, the, the beverage people would be going back to the dog saying, are you going to commit to us like we want to commit to you? And if so, how does that look? What's your plan on this? There's coaching jobs coming everywhere. Beaver, not St Kilda, will be another one around the corner. And neither of us wants to go into a year of uncertainty. Um, we'd propose a three-year extension and on these terms. How do you feel about it? Like that's a, they got, He's got leverage here, Luke Beveridge, because he's probably an even more sellable coach than Ross Lyon, isn't he? Don't you think? If, if Luke's available, does he beat Ross for the job? Again, that's in the eye of the beholder. You could mount the case strongly that he does. Oh, yes, well, he's a premiership he coach for starters. Yeah, yeah, I, I, yeah, I think he does. Yeah, um, and so you know, you want to flush that out on the way through. And he's in the I, game. I mean, Ross has been out of the game now for some time, which yeah. which is there's a no, question mark. I don't think there's any scenario that Luke goes into the last year of a contract and takes his chances from here. Okay. Like he gets he, he gets the extension done, or he looks at the St Kilda job. I think. But then you get into that zone because he's done eight years now already. If you're talking about with for next year already being done plus three, that becomes a twelve year contract, which it does gets into that murky got, zone. It is, but he's got leverage, and he can say to the Bulldogs, "I choose you. Do you choose me?" Hmm. Okay, I, I cannot see as much as you know it's my views on your Luke Beveridge, Hutchie. I, I can't see him walking out in a contract that he's well, got. And it's this is really the dilemma. About, it's not really about the contract, though. It's about the list. Like the list is going to... The Bulldogs list, which they've bought in... You look at the ones coming through now, Darcy and Eugle Hagen. And mm. The Bulldogs list has got an infinitely greater chance of winning a flag in the next three or four years than the St Kilda list. So you'd only really go if the St Kilda offer was four or five years and great coin and the Bulldogs were a hard no and you've got to earn your next contract. Then you'd think about it. But I... Yeah. That's sort of how I see it. Yeah. So just having had this conversation with him, I cannot see him leaving a contract. And and and, and yes, your point about the list too, if, if you want to then add that to it. Co- you contracts couldn't possibly leave footy. St Kilda. To, to go to St Kilda with, with what you've got at the Bulldogs. Contracts in modern footy are really uh, irrelevant these days, aren't they? They just protect the downside. Well, how is it that the industry's allowed the coach to, the co- all coaches now to only get six months protection? I know just that's protect- a standard... Um, Often contract out there in, in society, Hutchie, but how are coaches allowed themselves to be to be beholden to this policy? Yeah, well, you've talked about it before, but the coach association's been uh, quite passive and uh, haven't been strong enough. And you know, and the industry's had to protect itself in tougher fiscal times. But those fiscal times are reset, and the coaches still haven't. So, yeah, I think it's a very fair point. Hey, just a little speak on. We don't drift into footy too often, but since we're here, yep, right. The father son rule. And the the penalty in our pay to access the player is perfect, right? Would you say? It's better than it was. Well, it, I'd say it's perfect. Brisbane, Will Ashcroft should be able to play at Brisbane where his dad plays. They haven't got pick one in the draft. They're going to get charged pick one, in essence, for it. 
Brisbane, it's on you to find the points you need to deliver the player. You can have the player, but but you got to find the yeah, points. Which they have done. The well, which they will do. out the system. Yeah, it's we're seeing father sons get to their right place. Yeah, and we're seeing everyone else compensated for it in simple terms, right? Yeah, Fair? yeah, Fair? yeah. The system is um, the club that gets the father son is being forced to pay the rest of the competition the right price for it. I'll still, I'll, I'll still say yes for the purpose of the argument, but yeah, it's deeper than yep. what you're presenting it as. But yes, yeah, yes. No, I mean, once upon a time, it was a free kick. There's no free kicks anymore. It's a fair price for Will. Agreed? Yep. Yeah, Pick okay. one's a fair price. Yep, yep. Once upon a time, you get Gary Albert for a second round and just, you're lucky. Now it's a fair price. Um, my point is this. I reckon it's perfect. Why don't we extend it to brother, brother from here? <laughs> don't laugh at me. It's compromised enough, Hutchie. We've got father sons. We've got academy players. It's, it's actually have a look at any given draft. There's so many compromising components to it already. To, to, not, to not have not a brother, brother. It's not compromised at all if you're paying the fair price. It was compromised when you were getting something for free, not when you're paying full tight odds. It's a commercial world. If you're paying the full commercial value of a player, what well, do we have? Brother sister as well. And I'm, I'm being serious here. Uh, is it brother sister as well? Each AFL club now has a, an AFLW team. Yeah, I don't think that's. I think that's probably a phase three. I, I went brother brother next. I think the Guthries playing together in the grand final was such a wonderful story. I think Collingwood and football are better off for Nick and Josh Dacos being able to play together. I know, I know they're both access under father son, which is a little bit complicated because you don't necessarily have to be um, the sons of a great to end up being mm. brothers to play together as the Guthrie's aren't. But I, I love the idea of being at a most – tell me, Angus and Andrew Brayshaw should have been able to play together. Melbourne should have been able to access Angus. They might have had to find the points well, for H- three H- or they've four. They've both had offers – they've both had good offers to go and do that. A- a- Angus, as recently as this year, had an offer to go and play. And, and that is fine if – that is fine if the club or the brother chooses not to do it. But I'm talking about the system. The system should have said, um, you know, the minimum number of games and all those things that apply to the father. If, okay, Andrew's coming through. Uh, if you're inside, pick whatever, then the, you get the opportunity for the next brother to be matched at the appropriate value. I think the brother-brother is worth yeah. some thought, don't we? What, what, I, what I couldn't get my head around was one of those brother-brothers you're talking about being Ollie Henry, who's had two years in the Collingwood list, wanting yep. to go to Geelong. And this was a quote from his management group being there for the, the support group is, is the reason he wanted to go to Geelong, being in Geelong. Last time I checked, Hutchie, it's 75 kilometres away from Melbourne. Geelong. I know. And, and, and you can go and live in Geelong and train at Collingwood, as far as I... No, it's a B. You can catch a train if you really have to. You could, yeah. you could crash on a couch or a, a spare room of one of your teammates for three nights a week and have four nights in Geelong with the support group. I, I didn't get that argument yeah. at all. The, the go-home factor when, when the go-home's 45 minutes away is a little hard to get your head around. I, I concede that. But yeah. f- families sit at the heart of modern life. Why wouldn't we encourage families to be able to play together if the price is appropriate? Yeah, but then then you've got the other issue too. Of, of, and I, look, I was critical of Jason McCartney, which, which the, the GWS team was really – defensive of, and I totally get that, and they didn't like what I said, how I said what he said was a cop-out, um, that, that they have to draft from a different pool, and that being a pool that is not telling them they're going to be returning to their states of choice or their cities of choice yep. after two years. Uh, my, my, the reason I said it was a cop-out was create the environment to, to get these kids in and then make it compelling enough to stay beyond that first contract cycle, but... I don't underestimate the the difficulty yep. and the, and, the, and how tough it is for GWS to operate, but and they've, um, there's compromises GWS, everywhere, Hutchie. Without the brother, GWS brother, look right? like they've 
their latest strategy is a better one, draft an elite regional Victorian because the go-home factor in regional Victoria is non-existent, right? All, all the country kids generally stay. It's the city kids and the private kids that come home. So I think the decision... A lot of demarcation at the moment, which it's not how it's meant to be, is it? It's meant to be very free. Yeah, it's like not. Um, the Brisbane Lions have always kept the regional Victorian kids they draft. So the country Victorians are... You know, they don't have any, They come from small towns and they don't have any different. In fact, it's actually um, a nice step rather than a big city for them. Uh, just save me the emails on the brother, brother. I know there'll be some, <laughs> how do you value the player? We're gonna, but get the other bloke first and get a loophole because he wasn't much good. And we'll, oh, I know all that. There'll be frameworks you can put around it, but I'm, a, I'm an advocate. Hey, just quickly, Hayes, before we get to question of the week, what have you made of the Netball Australia issue uh, with the, the, the team? Again, I don't want to get too involved in detail because there's denials here and there's other different uh, different versions of events but ultimately the the netballers Australian netballers not or potentially allegedly according to some not playing in a certain jersey which had a particular sponsorship on it under the name of uh, Hancock Prospecting um, obviously that that company being being connected to to Gina Reinhardt have you have you followed this I have. It was the talk of the venue on Friday night in Perth when I was there for the Wildcats game. Well, not the talk of the venue, but among right. sort of business circles courtside. And the history of Lang Hancock and his uh, comments and actions over the years are clearly um, legacy ones that are being held pretty close to the heart of sections of the playing group. And that is one of the reasons why they, well, I think at the heart of this is a very complicated history of that business and, and all its previous people and their comments on uh, sections of Australian life without getting into the detail that I'm yet to fully ascertain. But I would say this. On one hand, you've got this disproportionate check that can save or really help the sport yep. that is being probably written from a really good place of reinvest in community spirit, and it's being written in, in the right manner. And then you've got a playing group who've been probably left a little bit out in the cold and who understandably are looking back at the history of that business and questioning its previous actions and statements. Very complicated one, Damon. Not an easy one to fix. No, it's not. And again, it speaks to the need in modern times. It's not easy to take the athlete on the journey. You know, It's not for the netball players to decide who they do and don't speak to, but I think understanding there might be a cultural sensitivity on the horizon and then forming a view before it happens, in you know, hindsight, would be probably the way you'd like to do it, right? Mm. What would you do? It's it's a space that is not going to disappear, isn't it? This whole issue, and again, let's remove. I haven't delved deeply enough into this Nepal Australia issue, Hachi, and I also do see some pushback on certain angles today. So, let's remove Nepal Australia and Hancock from this conversation. The athlete, though, in pushing back on certain, and this is totally removed from Hancock, okay? But it, but and the background you just given. So I'm just talking about the general athlete playing his or her chosen sport for for a sponsor. That's where the money comes in, isn't it? That's ultimately what is driving, ultimately, that organisation and sometimes the sport itself. And the, I mean, the economics of modern sport are tough. Mm. Finding sponsorship has never been harder. Finding uh, commercial support and then the commercial demands of players have never been greater. So it, it is an interesting time, isn't it? And then we saw this is a, a, a different incarnation of what we saw with the, the Manly jersey. Yeah. yeah, it's the same. Yeah, the manly, manly thing. Yeah, it is because ultimately the decision was made to, to not wear that 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 jersey. Yeah. Um, 
And there's a and price was- to pay for that. There's obviously a, a reason to do it, but there's a price to pay. Um, and as long as everyone is on, on board with the price to pay component to it, be it the club in question and the athlete in, individually, yep. um, I reckon they're, they're healthy conversations. But, but, the, but there's, there's but an the end game balls- to some of it too. The netballers are not going to take any less money here, don't they, in order to sacrifice? So, like okay, so what happens then? Again, remove Hancock and Netball Australia from this. What happens then if they say, well, if you don't wear that top, and I'm, I'm, we're just talking about a generic sport here. Yep. A group of athletes are saying, we're not going to wear that top. What happens then? What, what, what happens at that point when they say, what? well, you're not, you, if you don't wear that sponsorship logo on your top, you're not getting paid this week? How, what, what happens then? Well, I, I just don't think you can force that. Um, it's a very it's a very tough one because I, I just don't think you can say in this instance you're wearing it or that's it because you've got too big a groundswell against it and we're not far from that conversation though Hachi are we I mean we've had it at Manly this year and it's I mean the decision yeah. of those players to not play and for the right reasons but ultimately they didn't win a game after it basically and the yeah. coaches got sacked I mean look at the I, price I think, that's paid there I think you know I've, you know, I've certainly been a this is how it is type person in this space along the way. Sorry, I don't mean to sound inconsistent to that, but when there are cultural and personal issues tangled up in it, you need to have understanding and empathy. Yep. And that is easier done pre-event than post because post puts all the pressure on the top. Mm. Now they're under time pressure. You know, what's everyone saying? Is but are you then saying you're wanting approval, though, before you bring a, a contractor, a no, contractor organisation in? I was just trying to put myself in the shoes of everyone involved. and uh, Very complicated, very hard, and I'm, I'm not necessarily much yeah. good at this either. But I, just to run the exercise. But there's going to be a, a play, I would, would imagine, this year, Hutchie, who's going to have a problem with, you know, with the, the gambling alliance with, with certain clubs or even the game itself, like the AFL itself even. I'm, I'm talking AFL here. That's true. But th- I think the particular issue here runs a little deeper in the eyes of the players in terms of values and culture, right? So the players would be saying, we've established a value set and a culture of this team that's fully inclusive. Um, can you show us whether this business that you are making us mm. wear the, the colours of, um, the sponsorship of, is, reflects those views? Or is it or is it this Google search from 2012 when we last left the room? So um, now that's not fair or unreasonable on the business or on the players, but that's Kind of loosely speaking, what I think's happened. Yeah, okay. and um, and if you the netball, it's not easy to do, but the netball folks would have probably, in hindsight, liked to have got everyone in the room beforehand. So this deal's in an advanced stage. Before we go any further, uh, reading the tea leaves on a few things, we've sought on your behalf to ask some questions here, the answers. How do you guys all feel about this? We can't promise you we're not going to do it anyway, but at least you're going to. Do you mm. know what I mean? Like it's it's complicated. Yeah, it is. It is, and I think there's going to be a whole lot more of it. Hachi, and, and life, modern life and business got much more complicated. Society's adapted for the better, much better. Now, it, people might argue it's overcorrected and it's too woke and it's all those things, but fundamentally life is has improved. We are taking steps towards a better treatment of others. So this sort of speaks to the centre of that. You've got to actually just work through it. And if it's not a fit, then you've got to probably... You know, agree to move on and and ask the players to, to perhaps do more to replace it. I don't know what the what the what the answer is, but it's a very complicated one. Yeah, it is. Let's head to question of the week. On the sounding board, it's our question of the week for Drinkwise. If you're choosing to drink, choose to drink wise. 
We'll go to this one, Hachi, uh, from Ben Mignatoli on Facebook. He says, this is a bit of a personal question, so feel free to skip it if you prefer not to answer it publicly. It's now been over seven months since we lost Shane Warne. There have also been several other athletes who have also had heart issues since then as well. Can I ask both of you if you've had time to get a heart scan yet? I hope you both realise how loved you both are and how devastated we would all be. Should anything happen to either of you? I'll take you at your word there, Ben. Uh, especially when something as simple as a scan might reveal something. On a side note, I finally went to the doctors and got myself tested. The results have come back all good. I urge everyone else that might see this to do the same. Reminder, heart disease is still the biggest killer in Australia. Again, as per Ben's uh, request, actually, no, no need or no uh, obligation to answer, but I'll jump in, jump in first. I haven't, Ben, but I did have one, and I believe it's the one that they're urging people to get um, – uh, about two years ago, or two, maybe three years ago now, but it's probably time to get one done again, actually. And reading this out is probably uh, going to force me to maybe see what the time frame on it, on it should be. But um, I, I absolutely agree and concur with what Ben has said there and suggested. And Hachi, no obligation to answer. had my first session with a new doctor on these lines last week. So I moved doctor to try and be a bit more strategic and uh, have started that journey. So there you go. So okay. I'm the same. Time to go and get tested on all levels properly and it's just a matter of working through all the different yep. things to do and it is it is a, a good reminder too isn't it because uh, we, we all sort of took heed of that messaging at the time and and maybe in the weeks and months since but it is now seven months um and not a day goes by without a lot of people uh, still think of shane Warne. ben thank you for your and question of the, the week when you and i are playing the back nine demo we are yeah we are yep definitely we might not want to admit might be to ourselves the, or each other back, back five or six but we are playing the back nine, so you know um, we still we'll still make the nineteenth, won't we? We still get to the nineteenth. We were in in whatever score we were, and now unfortunately we're out. <laughs> <laughs> and I think I'm a couple of holes ahead of you. So. You are, yeah. <laughs> albeit you're playing the course a bit more conservatively than I have, David. In fact, I'll tell you how you've been playing the course. You've been hitting three on off the tee. You've been hitting wedge in, and you've been take, you've been putting anywhere inside sixty feet. <laughs> I've been hitting driver on the on the path for, into the <laughs> I've been water, trying to drive the path forward into and, the water. <laughs> yeah, trying to take on the trees, and uh, yeah, I think it's fair to say your uh, your clubs haven't got as much dirt on them as mine, Damo. Yeah, that's uh, on, on the on the once in three years I play golf on, on average these days, Hutchie. I do get out the driver every single time because there's no point oh, mucking no, around. No, you don't. Absolutely, You're I not do. possible. You do. Absolutely, I do. You're too I, I, I reckon I play once every three years. No, you're too conservative. No, not possible that you drive. The <laughs> yeah, you're an idiot. You're one, was... one of those guys with a long putter. Which he's putting from 20 metres in, in, the, in the light rough because it's safer to get it on the green without, you know. What happens if something goes wrong with a wedge? Yeah. You have created this false image of me on this show, and I'm, I'm just about had enough of it, all right? <laughs> uh, that was the sounding board for DrinkWise. If you're choosing to have a drink, choose the DrinkWise. Thanks for listening to the Sounding Board podcast with Hutchie and Damo. Tune in for questions tomorrow and to send a question to the boys, email thesoundingboard at sen.com.au, follow the show on Twitter at Sounding Board EP and like the Facebook page. It's all thanks to Drinkwise. If you're choosing to have a drink, choose to Drinkwise.